Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me in studio is Ben Sawyer, the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched the Soar Vision Group to help align people with purpose and help them achieve exceptional results. Lisa Council is the Chief Commercial Officer of SOAR. She comes with more than two decades of clinical, leadership, and clinical informatics experience. Before that, she was with McKesson for 19 years. Our guest this week is Lee Hamby. That is Dr. Lee Hamby to all of us. He is the Chief Medical Officer at Piedmont. He has been there for 19 years. That is a good long run. Uh, Dr. Hamby's responsibilities include oversight and coordination of medical staff issues at and between Piedmont hospitals. He is responsible for clinical quality initiatives with a focus on key clinical drivers to improve patient safety. And Piedmont, keep in mind, is the largest healthcare provider in Georgia. Before that, Dr. Hamby served as a physician advisor and was later named the hospital's first chief quality officer. And prior to joining Piedmont, Dr. Hamby was the director of healthcare quality and evaluation for VA Atlanta Network. That is quite a resume. Welcome, Dr. Hamby. Glad to be here, thank you. So this is a pretty big get, guys, uh, because Piedmont has a sterling reputation. And as we mentioned, this is the largest healthcare system in Georgia. Yeah, and we work with Piedmont. Uh, right now we're working over at their Athens Regional uh, facility and enjoy that. So, uh, Dr. Hampy, thanks so much for joining us. We're delighted to have you here. Um, you have a pretty interesting background, um, not just with Piedmont, but also with the Baldridge. Can you, for the listening audience, sort of bring us up to speed on on that background and and lead us up we're going to be talking obviously about performance excellence so the connection there would be great sure um again my background is a general surgeon and i was in private practice in dothan alabama and i realized that as a surgeon there were a lot of things that could affect my patient's outcome other than the surgery right, right? all the sort of processes of care and frankly, the administration of the facility. And so I wanted to learn how to talk their language, understand the world in which they did. So I went and got a master's of healthcare administration at UAB. And in that time, I got exposed to quality management, quality right. improvement. And this would be ooh, late 80s, late early 90s. Mm -hmm. Through that, I ended up doing a two-year fellowship within the VA. You may have heard the VA earlier, a VA Quality Scholars Program. Yeah. Uh, and through that, we had an internal uh, Baldridge Award Program through the VA. Uh, got involved in that, did some work on sort of understanding how that program went, uh, and then uh, applied and became an examiner with the National Award. And did that for several years, and actually had the opportunity to go on site and some, visit some winners, which was very exciting, so. Yeah. So um, from the standpoint of that learning process, what were some of the things that have, have stood out to you as keys for performance excellence um, that listeners, again, should, should really think about and consider as they're, as they're embarking on performance excellence journeys? The, uh, Paul Batalden was my mentor uh, when I did my fellowship. And I remember one of the things that sort of the advice he gave is to recognize that all work is the result of a process. Yeah. Um, and you can't manage outcomes. 
uh, you have to manage process. And again, that's sort of a dimming. But I remember one of the first jobs I had when I came to Piedmont, they had an entire, uh, entire group of people whose title was outcomes manager. And, and I was perplexed by that, yeah. uh, and I never, they didn't understand why I was perplexed by that. So to <laughs> me, all work is a result of a process. Right. And it's not just assigning a monitor, i.e. Right. an outcomes manager. It's building it and taking waste out and, and, and so forth. So um, as Duffy said in the introductions, Piedmont's pretty good size health system, largest here in the, in the area. What are some uh, kind of related challenges that you guys have been able to overcome as a result of that kind of insight? Well, as when I started 19 years ago, we were two facilities, uh, and I think we had 100 employed physicians, and we're now 11 facilities wow. with 750 employed physicians and probably 2,500 physicians in our network. And so yeah. doing all of this while doubling and tripling in size has really been our challenge. Yeah. Uh, and so before you can take a quality program and, and you know, involve a new facility that joins the family in that quality program, you have to have a defined quality program. Mm -hmm. And I would think that most healthcare organizations don't have what I would call a defined quality program. Again, in Baldridge terminology, you know, you need a quality system, Correct. right? And we didn't have one when I started and, and really didn't have one for a number of years until it became untenable with the level of results that we were getting. We said, you know what, we're doing something wrong. We need to sort of essentially start at sort of base metal and right. say, all right, this is the way we've been doing quality. Let's start with a blank piece of paper. What should we be doing? Yeah. What are our work? What are the five work streams that we need and that sort of stuff? And really apply Baldur's 101. Who's our customer? What do we do? How do we make what we make? How do we make what we make better? How much does it cost us to make it? Right. Uh, what does our customer really need? Right. Uh, and we found all kinds of opportunities, literally when a, a variance comes in or a, what do you call those? Uh, a no fee? Yeah. Yeah. When somebody reports something, uh, uh, they used to call it an occurrence report. Anyway, both risk management and quality would both jump on it and start reviewing it simultaneously. I'm like, well, why are we doing that? Yeah. Event. So mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot of opportunity out there, and you just have to look at it. It's Like they said, opportunity is the biggest room in the house. Yeah, yeah, isn't that the truth? So um, you talked about uh, really listening to customers and really understanding what they need as a, as a, as a core or a foundation to quality. What kinds of approaches are you guys using from, I'll just use the parlance, a voice of the customer mm -hmm. type interaction to make sure that that's clear and driving and influencing your quality system? So uh, for us as a quality department, you know, our customers are typically those folks who work in the hospitals, right? right. The executive leadership team. And so we spend a lot of time uh, in their space finding out what are they struggling with? What do they need help with? And at the same time, as an organization, we've defined these are our quality initiatives. Right. And so if, if an operator needs help with a quality initiative that's not aligned with our scorecard, we're not going to help them. Right. 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 Uh, and, and that's probably the hardest part of the job mm -hmm. is determining those things and sticking to those things you are not going to work on. Right. Because in healthcare, we have this sort of interesting uh, moral perspective where we find it more satisfying to find an opportunity mm -hmm. to, than to fix the ones that we already know about. For sure. Mm -hmm. and so it's I a really, shiny new penny, right? Exactly. I don't need more people looking at charts for more problems. Right. I have a, a lifetime of problems already needed to be solved. Right. And that's a very different dynamic because when we looked, 80% of the quality people were spending their time looking in charts. Mm. And very few of them actually knew how to lead an improvement team. Right. And so that's our internal customers. As far as understanding what, what patients want and what patients need, 
we have a whole group in our customer and patient experience team looking at uh, you know the competitors we consider the competitors in our space not to be the other healthcare systems in the city or in, or in the state it's amazon it's uber mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. tesla mm -hmm. right that's who creates our customers expectation and so why can't i book an online appointment right, right? Yep. why do i need a doctor's order for a mammogram right right i can go to the pharmacy and get a flu shot why do i have to go through all these rigmarole to get an appointment to see a doctor and so we try to understand what our patients' expectations are and how do we meet them in a way that, you know, versus just sending out a survey and a yeah. survey monkey to click a box on what you need. So. And Dr. Hamby, that is so key. Um, we've been kind of dealing in this world of consumerism for a while at Soar Vision Group. We've been talking to executive leadership. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of people in your seat don't really acknowledge that patient being a consumer. You clearly acknowledge it with the Tesla and the Amazon example. Um, so that's all, you know, again, we believe that there are these disruptive forces that you described that's going to change how healthcare landscape exists today. So I was going to ask a couple follow-up questions because sure. you, you're bringing up some really interesting things. So first of all, you talked about prioritization and not getting distracted, right, fixing what you know. So um, one of our collaborators is Morton Hansen, who is the co-author with Jim Collins of Great by Choice, and then he just wrote the last book in the series, Great at Work. So he does the keynotes for our CEO roundtables. And his first principle of the seven that he writes about is do less and then obsess. Right, which like which yeah. kind of says it, you know, yeah. as a whole. How how do organizations that are growing at the pace that Piedmont is, has, and the complexity of organization in terms of trying to cover that level of waterfront, do that? How how do you do less than obsess? Well, the about two years ago, and it's probably more than that now. We had a new CEO four or five years ago, yeah. Kevin Brown. And he really took the opportunity to sort of understand what are the organizational priorities, right. plan on a page, all that yeah. sort of thing. And, and we really focused on getting to zero harm by 2024. Uh, and so that requires that you actually define and count harm. Right, right. right. Uh, Hospital-acquired infections, hospital-acquired conditions, patient safety indicators, and serious safety events. There's right, four of them. Right. We have a number. We've yeah. got to reduce that by 15% per year yeah. in order to hit the target. Right. And so... Uh, when someone comes up with, hey, we want to talk about restraints, I'm looking through harm, got, got no harm restraints, yep. right? Yep. Got nothing. Uh, <laughs> and so, so now let's talk about what I got to have for accreditation, and then let's get back to focusing on how yeah. do I reduce the harm that I know about. That is a very, very difficult dialogue and, yeah. and conversation to have. It's consistency over time. Right. Uh, and you've got to control all the resources that work on things right. that people like to use to work on stuff, which is another sort of difficulty with an organization. As I've had some executives tell me over my tenure, if it doesn't fall into the safety bucket, don't come, don't come to my office and talk to me. So then people figure out how to bring their topic of interest and fit it into what the organizational uh, goals yeah. so, are. So another thing that's related to that, and then I have a, a, a question about the linkage of process and technology. That was the other thing you brought up. But before I get to that, none of these things are function independently. Like you can't actually talk about performance without talking about quality and safety and finance exactly. and so forth. So how, particularly with a growing organization, how do you, again, create focus mm -hmm. Uh, well recognizing that it is multifactorial and, and usually pretty complex. It can be. I, I think, uh, again, our CEO has done a nice job. We have a plan on the page, 
top dead center of the plan on the page is this harm quality safety yep. and service and it's two things reduce harm create a transformative next level you know patient experience and access and yeah hassle-free experience yeah that's in the middle then you've got sort of stewardship you've got talent you got growth or the three supporting cast members we got very specific metrics on all of those yeah so it, it is a finite universe I mean, right. again mm-hmm. in, in Baldur's lingo you know your key factors right are key right so be clear like, about it yeah, yeah, yeah. It, people would write this sort of first page of the key factors and then they would never talk about them again in the application yeah, yeah. right so we we uh, we focus on key factors and key factors remain key yeah um, that's awesome but it it is a challenge because some new stuff comes up you know haggling with the payers comes along and and again the good news is with a focus and with alignment like you said people sort of can hang their work on that christmas tree right yeah. so if i right. work in rev cycle how, how does that help right well right. you know you give somebody a bill that's incorrect that's going to cause stress, right? Yeah, we all can right. relate to that. Yeah, that so I, I think we do a pretty good job of people connecting to the overall vision uh, in a way that they, they know how their work yeah. relates to that. And yeah. from a Baldur's standpoint, that's alignment, you know, in a way that it's been nice to see from the inside. I always loved being an examiner because you got to see that stuff you didn't really believe existed. Yeah. Like, like deployment is you go to the nurse's station at two in the morning. Do you know what your strategic goals right. are? And if they could, that's alignment and, and integration. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... Oh, so speaking of that alignment, I'd like to send our listening audience to the leaderdialogue.com website. That's leaderdialogue, spelled D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E, dot com, where, again, alignment is really key to this uh, conversation today is also on our website. So if you'll go to the organizational hierarchy of needs, kind of scroll down on that first page, the listening audience can follow along. Duffy, I bet you were going to jump in and do that same thing. I was going to do the same thing, and and, and because (laughs) they call what you have up there the visual baldrich. So right. when we're talking about, I loved how he was, I mean, all those phrases, you'll see them right there as you look at the hierarchy of organizational needs. Yep. Yeah, so that actually ties, uh, you'll, you'll see how in a minute, to the other question and, and thing that you were pointing out, um, Dr. Hamby, which is the integration of process and technology. So you gave examples of Amazon, Tesla, and others. And what's unique about them is they're not just, for example, a technology provider, or they're not just a you know, a service provider, what they have done, and and Lyft and, and Uber are the same, what they've done is integrated the two in a very, very effective way that's seamless to the customer, right? So, you know, ride sharing, for example, I pull up my, my phone, I can, I can interact with it and get a service that I need in a very, very easy, efficient fashion. I'm curious about that within healthcare and its evolution, because we have been very characteristically service providers we have certain technologies that we use right telemedicine and and you know robotic surgery and a lot of other technologies but what is your take from the standpoint of that evolution to be able to similarly represent that integration of technology and service so uh several years ago i came to the conclusion like a lot of people have now and and again i'm not saying i'm particularly forward thinking i'm pretty pretty simple-minded but (laughs) technology is really critical and Mm -hmm. so you know as the chief medical officer it actually reports to me okay Uh, it's not an expense in the organization it's not an overhead or an infrastructure organization it's the means by which we deliver care and and for that and and because of that this ability to try to integrate 
you know, hide complexity from the customer is what you're talking about. Ain't nobody got time to understand why this doctor likes to take off every odd Wednesday to play golf, and that's why his office has no appointments, yada, yada, yada. Right. Yep. And so working with, and again, we have uh, Katie Logan, who's our VP of patient experience. That this is what she thinks about 24-7 is how do we get the technology to do fairly simplistic things? Uh, again, we're an Epic shop. To the degree that we, we can do that within our Epic application is great. If not, we have other software that we work with as well, but on a very limited basis uh, because, you know, the hard part isn't the software. It's getting all the doctors in the background to have the same scheduling template. Right. Right. That's a lot harder right. than Absolutely. connecting uh, an interface or an API call, uh, getting all the docs to agree on what a 15-minute interval is, a 30-minute interval. That's been the hard work, and that's an operational thing that, uh, that she spends her time sort of wrangling. So it's, it's getting the technology. The technology is people focus on that. That's the easy part. It's mm-hmm. the process behind that and getting the, the workflows aligned with what the technology is capable of is the harder part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you never skip that people process and technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going back to what Duffy said about the visual Baldridge, that's actually been the foundation for what we've been doing with the Baldridge Foundation. Because as you know, having been an examiner, The Baldrige framework is fairly complicated. There's a lot to ask and answer. There's a lot of key work processes, lots of things to look under. And people have felt to a large extent like, you know, they sent away for an architectural blueprint and now they're building out their house, right? So the question is, how can you integrate technology to help accelerate it, visualization tools to make it a little bit easier, and then let them, without getting in the way of of prescriptive, right, and, and let them have than a path forward to be able to execute. So we've done that with our Pulse software, uh, purpose-led strategy execution, and then also with e-learning kind of quest journeys where we can build in the key work processes uh, that give them a way to methodically um, do that kind of thing. So it's something we work on as well all the time in collaboration with the Baldrige to try to give people in this age of consumerism, which requires much shorter time cycles, a way of being able to, um, you know, to, to move forward and make, uh, make gains. Um, are there other specific examples, Lee, in terms of the integration of uh, technology and service that you guys are kind of on the leading edge of as it relates to the market? I, I don't know if I'd call it leading edge. Or, and again, it doesn't feel very elegant, but the simple notion of let's take preventing hospital-acquired infections. You know, everybody knows what it is you're supposed to do, right? right? It's the actually doing it part that's hard. Right. Uh, and, and again, we're sort of fanatical about compliance with defined standard work. Uh, and and we, again, we had to build the software tools that allowed, you know, if I'm a, a nurse manager on the third floor, I need to understand, you know, who's struggling, why are they struggling as close to real time as possible. Right. We were always, as a health care organization, we've always been able to provide that level of detail and tools for budget. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But we never did it for clinical work. And mm-hmm. so we now have a thing that we sort of built in our epic called patient safety check that if I'm a nurse, I can see instantly red or green all the bundles that I'm supposed to be working on in real time. And then my manager can see that. Uh, and so those are the clinical things. And again, we've defined a handful of, of standard work. And now the question we have is, well, how many are there? Right. right? Mm-hmm. How many more boxes do we have to collect? Right. How does this stuff stack up? 
Uh, and so now, how do we take predictive analytic tools to say, okay, among patients with a central line, we know statistically that if you had the central line for more than a couple of days, and let's say you missed one bundle opportunity right. on one day, the probability goes up. That how do we prioritize that standard work for the for the case, the person at the bedside? We haven't gotten there yet, right? right. So. Of all the boxes I'm supposed to check, which are the ones I need to check next, and which mm -hmm. one? And then, how do we build in what's actually happening on the patient to sort of realign that? We're we're doing that a little bit with sepsis with a program we're launching in October. So, to me, the clinical yeah. care defining the standard work, providing tools that allow compliance with the standard work, and then. The next level thing is how do we prioritize that compliance? Right. And those tools are in the natural workflow of that clinician, it sounds like. So if that's, they're not, they'll never use that's them. That's right. That's, right. that's paramount to the success. Right. And, and being having to be aware of all the other things that they're doing and how many touch points they have with technology, I'm sure, is a part of, of the challenge. When we, when we launch a new initiative, let's say our quality prevention bundle, we call it a promise package because it has the training, the policy, the metrics, the dashboards the how-to the pictures the images right. the all that stuff in packaged in one thing our entire quality department for the whole system actually goes and takes 24-hour shifts you know at the bedside with support on these things for like seven or eight days and it's amazing after two days you realize well half this stuff isn't doing what we thought it was going to do mm -hmm. uh and so then we build a punch list of then we got to go back and it's sort of a quid pro quo all right yep. we'll build this if you'll do that yep. um you know <laughs> as opposed to sending out a video and a right. memo hey starting monday we're going to do this right. we have had a whole newfound respect for implementation and we really learned that from our computer software conversions with epic yeah. it's an all hands on deck it's a really intensive process so we do that now for every single one of these quality initiatives that we roll out that's got to be appreciated by the people who are being asked to to undertake all of this new stuff to have someone there walking you through it is so much better than just like you said sending the video sending the email one of our chief nurses said something that probably gave me the warmest fuzzy i've had in 19 years she looked and said you know what i finally feel like the quality department's here to help me wow, wow. Hey, there you go wow like, that's awesome yeah exactly and that's awesome they quickly got over that and thought of the other 400 things that we needed to help <laughs> that's right. it, it but still nice. take it when it you get nice it right yeah it was that glowing shiny moment <laughs> carry yeah. it with yeah, you so, forever so that is a actually a really key point and um I know you had said you you were willing to be with us next week in the in the radio show. So what I want to start doing is pulling out some of these these key principles so that we can unpack them in that deep dive session. And this is one of them, which is reality and frontline operations has to drive innovation because if you're making if you're doing innovation in a vacuum uh, and then you try to apply it afterwards, it's a it's a it's a big miss. That was a that was a great example of of that. Um, so as we talk about key principles based upon your unique experience, Lee, in terms of Baldrige Examiner, now significant operations in a growing healthcare organization, as you look forward and you, and you talked about these big players that are coming into healthcare, right? Apple, Amazon, et cetera. What are innovations and things that health system uh, executives like yourself need to be thinking about to be able to make sure that as that horizon comes into clarity, you're ready, capable, ready to make it happen. So um, I give this a lot of thought, and I'm going to sort of give a disclaimer that these are the opinions of myself, not necessarily Piedmont Healthcare <laughs> okay, perfect. or my senior leaders. But, fair, fair enough. But when I meet with technology people, uh, pick, pick whoever, 
what I don't need is to do what I'm doing now faster. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't need a software that helps me process a patient visit faster. I need something that makes a patient visit unnecessary. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, right. Let me hospital. tell you, that's really hard yeah. to get software company and operators to invest in something that kind of puts their business model out of business. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, at, you know, thinking about from the perspective of a patient, nobody wants to go to the doctor. Right. right? So yeah. how can I do something if we if we in healthcare on the current provider side don't figure out a, a replacement for what we're current doing. Somebody else will. Right. right? It'll be a chat bot or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we have to really, how do we do that while trying to live on the model that we have now, which is the more we do, the more we get paid for. Right. Uh, and particularly in the Atlanta market where we don't have a lot of, you know, capitation and that sort of thing. It's a real challenge. That's the kind of stuff that can we get there, right? I mean, you know, can't, there aren't many examples of industries transforming themselves from the inside it's usually some disruptive outside that's industry right. comes that's right. in. Right. and you know there's nobody says we're entitled to fix this right i mean right. you know we've sort of laid killed a golden egg goose layer uh so now maybe we need to take some lumps by some outside innovative technology i just don't know what that is again who knows what it's going to be yeah. but we need it badly uh because yeah. we're bankrupt in this country we're not delivering on what patients expect uh and i don't think I think the thing that we're seeing now is, you know, this concept of physician burnout or whatever you want to call it, it's not as much fun to be in the business as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so there aren't really any stakeholders What's, are actually satisfied with what we're doing. Right. So, you know, what what is it? Uh, was it Ben Stein said, whatever can, can't go on forever will eventually quit? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he said that or not, but uh, that's who I think said it. But, yeah, that's kind of where I think we are. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and the economic pressures and the pressure towards value-based care and reimbursement models certainly are creating a cauldron for that kind of uh, activity to occur. What it brings to mind, and I, I'm be curious on your uh, uh, thoughts on this, we were uh, have been collaborating with Trinity Health and they have a innovation hub and they were trying to tackle a particular problem exactly the way you talked about, which is how do you take away the unnecessary to be able to actually get transformative results. So what they were looking at is the primary care office model. Mm -hmm. And on average, uh, their physicians were seeing about 2,800 patients a year and working really hard to try to get that done, you know, trying to manage uh, appointments and, and all the, the things that go along with the visits and so forth. So what they said as their objective is that um, they would try to double that, so get to 5,600, but simultaneously allow physicians to be able to go home by 5 o'clock. And not take their epic corrector with them and yeah. do their epic charting that's, at home. There you go. That's exactly right. So yeah. so what they did is they built out a simulated clinic. They had every type of customer come through, whether it was the patient, their family, uh, ancillary care providers, extenders, the physicians themselves, and they just kept working it until they could, they could identify what were the limiters in that. And they they came up with some breakthroughs. We had Roger Spoolman on, who was an executive within Trinity that was overseeing this, and we have a, a case study video that shows this. But they achieved it. They were able, they went to 5,600. They inter they interviewed the, the physicians and so forth, and it demonstrates uh, the success. But what they did was largely what you were talking about, which is they standardized work. They brought everybody up to the maximum of their license. They integrated them as a team so that they could more successfully work together. They took out obstacles that are, are traditional 
in the office environment where you're kind of cubicled, mm-hmm. right? And they had open areas. They had alert uh, coloring systems that would allow you to notify the other members of your team if you were in kind of a red or yellow circumstance. And they also pulled in a lot of the diagnostics and other kinds of things that normally you're shipped out for. And so it became one-stop shopping. So it was really fascinating. And the follow-up was, did they meet their objectives? So, you know, did they hit the volumes they wanted? Were the physicians in a, in a much better place? And most importantly, was the patient and family satisfied with it? And was it, it worked. Convenient? Mm-hmm. Was it convenient? convenient? That is now their fastest growing primary care office. Um, so curious about that as a practical I- example, where are there other real elements of promise within healthcare where that kind of thinking that you're talking about mm-hmm. can be applied? No, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, 90% of my daily thoughts are around the inpatient side. Right. And a lot of the opportunities to do things like you're talking about are on the outpatient ambulatory office based right. side. Um, but again, I think it's some variation of understanding what it is that is really the ultimate value of whatever we do. So let me give you a, a non-clinical care related example as it relates to within IT. Yeah. If you're going to build, uh, somebody asks you to build something, uh, use order set or whatever, and you build it and you spend all the hours building it, you test it, and then you put it in production and then six months later, no one's using it. Right. That's the same as not building it, right? right. Mm-hmm. So how much of what we do, there's no, how much, you know, the Japanese term for that is muda, yeah. right? How much meaningless work are all of us doing? Right. And and when you look at uh, the transactional stuff that happens either at, in the unit, you know, the, the bed, you know, bedside care folks, or in uh, inventory management, revenue cycle, the handoffs and the check, check, double check mentalities, uh, it's, it's, I mean, we're probably, I think Huey Reinhardt said, 30% of what we do, you know, is just sort of overhead. Right. Uh, we could free up so much more capacity uh, with what we already have, uh, and yet people keep talking about we need more resources. I think we got, I think we got three times more resources than we need. Right. How do we get them doing the right things? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the challenge, and I think that's, it's, there is no one place, right? It's all right. over. It's, you know, you uh, pick a random department within your facility and you'll find something so um we're gonna wrap up here pretty quick but what you're bringing up is also another key thing which is the inertia that's inherent in traditional operations and trying to redirect that or have organizations think differently about that so that they can actually innovate uh is is a challenge so we're looking forward to next week's deep dive conversation where we'll take some of these and unpack them and Uh, Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. This was a fascinating conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Well, we will see you next week, and that's to our listeners, too. Thanks for joining us on Leader Dialogue, as we mentioned at the beginning, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldrige Foundation. Remember, you can listen to a new live show every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. You can also visit Business Radio X, click on the Gwinnett Studio, and select Leader Dialogue. We have all of our there. You can also go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. You can go back and listen to other episodes and we always post them there. On behalf of Ben, Lisa, and our producer Mike, I'm Duffy Dixon. We'll see you next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. 